Welcome to PwC's Tax Reform Readiness Podcast Series. This podcast is an excerpt from PwC's Tax Reform Readiness Webcast Series, held on January 23, 2019, Finally Final, the Section 965 Regs. The panelists for the webcast were Mike DeFranzo, Mike Erse, Elizabeth Nelson, and Nini Duar, all PwC tax partners in our international tax services practice. This excerpt consists of a discussion of the foreign tax credit rules and certain elections. Have a listen. Nini, foreign tax credit rules. Yeah. So I think the first bucket on the ordering rule, we sort of covered that already. So I'll jump on to the hovering deficit, which is um, a a welcoming um, change to the proposed regs and is sort of consistent with the footnote in the JCT um, uh, report that came out with, with the bill. Um, so, so typically in the hovering deficit world, um, if you earn current ENP that becomes accumulated, you can offset the current ENP with the hovering deficit. But there's a timing rule around that offset that it happens on the first day of the following tax year. So when we are looking at 965 and there is current ENP generated, but, but you know, the 965 inclusion happens that, that year, Essentially, under the, the, the normal hovering deficit rule, that those earnings wouldn't have become uh, accumulated and therefore can't offset the hovering deficit. The final regs basically provide that um, the hovering deficit essentially can be absorbed by the current year ENP that that was taken up with the 965, and then the related tax that uh, uh, associated with the, the that hovering deficit can be included in the in the post-86 uh, tax pool, essentially. So that's that's a good development. And so this is not a prorated deficit, but it's a hovering deficit that's within a defect, so yeah. an entity that has an inclusion that's being offset and that's reduced right. by the hovering deficit. Yep. And then a couple points on, on this page. Uh, the taxes on PTI, again, a, a, a reiteration of the, of the notion that any taxes that are attributable to the earnings that are included under 951 are removed from the pool and they won't be available for uh, distribute. Like they won't come up with the, the PTI distribution, but um, that the, the taxes that uh, uh, companies pay upon the distribution of PTI can still be creditable under the, the 960A3 and 960B provision. Like a withholding. Yeah. And then um, the last point here: applicable percentage. So to the extent. Uh, taxpayer, a taxpayer doesn't have um, aggregate 965A inclusion amount. Um, the applicable percentage that would have to be used in the, the foreign tax credit calculation would be the 55.7%. Mike, you, you touch a lot of our, our client base. You're out with a lot of clients, um, seeing what they're doing, how they're dealing with 965. And so the question I have is, what are they doing to support their their post eighty six um, uh, pool numbers? So their foreign tax credits, earnings, and profits. It's a lot of history to gather. It is, and for many companies, they never really kept great records for some of those companies because the earnings were deferred permanently um, under assertions under APB twenty three. Um, you know, the, the preamble does note that they considered um, alternative measurement methods and they just couldn't find any legislative history to support anything that would give companies sort of a shorthand method. And they basically concluded that you have to compute your earnings and profits 
based on traditional methods. And, and the same is true with your foreign tax pools. Uh, again, this is going to be a, probably the largest foreign tax credit for most companies in their history, given the amount of the inclusion. Um, so what people are doing are they, they have, a lot of people have decent records on dividend payers or sub-F entities. Uh, I think they've you know, done the 80-20 kind of approach where they've looked at their largest low-tax entities and tried to gather up the best E&P information they could. And on foreign taxes, uh, you know, we're advising clients to just gather as many foreign tax returns as you can for the, uh, you know, because those can be requested on audit uh, to support the credit. And it's really a documentation exercise and um, 30 years of it. So there's no simple answer. Right. Extraordinary undertaking. And, and as you pointed out, there wasn't a shortcut that was, that was provided uh, in the regulations, which was unfortunately disappointing. Um, okay. Anti-avoidance double counting uh, is our next topic. And Nini, you're going to take us through the anti-abuse rules, which were, I'll tell you, they, they first showed up in notice three, uh, and then they carried over into the proposed reg. Right. So we can flip. Yeah. So um, I think largely the the final regulations maintain um, the, the the provisions in the proposed regulations, which effectively disregard certain transactions if they are undertaken with the principal purpose of changing the the amount of the 965 elements of the U.S. shareholder, which essentially is defined as a, a, an increase in um, foreign tax credit or a decrease in. Uh, cash position or a decrease in the 965 inclusion. Um, there's some modification to the rules that are generally um, sort of positive um, uh, de development, and, and we'll go through that. So the first one is the, um, the, the incorporation exception. So this is the rule that essentially says that the, the, the transaction won't be disregarded under the anti-avoidance rule if um, there's a transfer of, of a specified foreign corporation from a U.S. shareholder to a domestic corporation, provided that the, the transferee essentially steps into the shoes of the transferor and the measurement of the cash uh, position of the, C, uh, of the specified foreign corporation will take into account the, all the relevant measurement dates, even though the, the transferee and the transferor may not hold the, the SFC on those dates. So I think very significant for... Um, maybe the, in the funds context where you have um, individual shareholders owning um, CF, SFCs through a partnership, and this is where if the partnership is incorporated, then um, that doesn't get disregarded and, and you, can, you can still uh, respect the, the transaction. Um, the, the next uh, helpful exception is the, 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 the liquidation of the specified foreign corporation. And, and here is really to, um, the, the rules are there to mitigate the double taxation that could result from a liquidation of, of an SFC um, during the year. And, and basically the rule just provides that the date of the liquidation um, will generally be treated as the, the last day of the taxable year of the SFC to, to mitigate that double potential double um, taxation and under limited circumstances involving the, the check the box election that the date might be um, that there are special rules about that. So on the next page, um, a couple other things. So cash reduction transaction, um, there are some comments that 
came in um, about how certain transactions should be accepted from um, the per se, uh, getting put into the per se uh, sort of cash reduction type transaction. So here, the, the, the Treasury actually accepted one, one comment, which is around a distribution by um, a specified foreign corp to um, uh, a U.S. person that generally would be treated as a per se principal purpose, tra- transaction with principal purpose to the extent there's an intent to transfer the cash or receivables or cash equivalent assets to another CFC, SFC. So the rules basically said that in, in that circumstance where there's a distribution from an SFC to a U.S. shareholder, there is not going to be considered to be a plan or intention to further transfer the cash to an SFC if the transfer is made um, uh, pursuant to a, a legal obligation entered into before uh, the, the date, uh, the November 2nd date. Uh, again, limited exception, but um, some, some helpful um, exception. The, the last one, uh, accounting methods change. Um, there are two points here. The first one, um, and, and this, this first point is around the fact that certain accounting methods change are not going to be uh, disregarded under the anti-abuse rules, even though they may impact the, um, the, the, the 965 elements. And, and this rule essentially came about because Treasury was worried that there may be some positive um, 481 adjustment as a result of the, the accounting methods change that would have the effect of increasing the 965 inclusion amount, but also the deemed paid credit amount because the, the 965 inclusion goes up, and therefore the transaction is disregarded, and therefore the increase in E&P as a result is not taxed under 965. So, so the, the, the rules now basically says that if the increase in the, the deemed paid credit that taxpayer can get as a result of the accounting methods change, it's merely because of the increase in the 965 inclusion um, that that accounting methods change um, uh, might not be disregarded and therefore the, the, the increase in ENP as a result would be captured by the 965 inclusion. Um, the last point here uh, is um, just a note that the, the, the final recs declined to adopt the suggestion that uh, the change there should be a, that a change from an impermissible method to a permissible method um, uh, shouldn't be disregarded if there's no principal purpose. That uh, the, the final recs uh, didn't uh, accept that. So just to point out, too, in, in the original anti-abuse rule that was, was outlined in the proposed regulations, they had um, two flavors of anti-abuse. They had the principal purpose rule, and then they also had the per se rule. And the per se rule didn't care what your purpose was. Um, so some of these carve-outs um, pulled things that were all the way down in the per se rule out. So they were very, very helpful for those who got the relief here. So double counting relief rule, and and this essentially um, is around the the specified payments and and certain specified payments, if if they fall within these rules, will be disregarded. And essentially, they are payments between uh, 
SFCs that occur between the two measurement dates, so between November 2nd and December 31st. And the rule is there to, initially there to um, relieve the double counting because if you make payments between the CFCs or SFCs between measurement dates, you might count the ENP twice, one at the payor and one at the payee. Um, the, the, the biggest change to the, the rules are the fact that the, the, the definition of the specified um, payment is, is broadened now. So rather than having a requirement that was in the proposed reg that requires that the, the payor and the payee must have a different tentative measurement dates for the rules to apply, um, that is taken away. So essentially, any specified payment, any payments, um, specified payments uh, will be included in this rule, regardless of uh, what the tentative measurement dates of the SFC um, uh, might have. And, and this is the point Elizabeth sort of alluded to earlier that uh, brings in a lot more payments, and the taxpayers would have to go through how that impacts the overall. Um, overall calculation of, of the ENP. The, the second important point here is um, even though the rule is broader, uh, the, the final regulations provide an election to the taxpayer to basically elect out of uh, applying the double counting rule um, to disregard these payments. So um, the, the consequence of that is um, you don't need to disregard the payment but you may end up with double counting of some ENP in your toll charge calculation. So um, again, modeling exercise to determine whether the election should be made or not. And, that, and part of that is because the other, the rule that was in the proposed reg with the different tentative ENP measurement dates and having to remeasure potentially, mm -hmm. if that's how you applied the rule, could have resulted in other payments being double counted that right. didn't get eliminated. And so modeling this again with the final rule is important because you may end up in the same place you were potentially because applying the other proposed reg might have gotten you an increase potentially um, in your double counted income or your 965A amount and this may keep you in the same place even though it, it may you may have items that are double counted. Yeah. Um, and the last point here is really a coordination of the 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 anti-avoidance and the double counting rules. So to the extent there is a, a dividend between uh, two SFCs and the dividend is, th that dividend could potentially be subject to the, the, the specified payment or the double counting rules as well as the anti-avoidance rules. So the, the final regs basically provide that if the dividend is already disregarded under the double counting rules of the Dash 4F, then taxpayer doesn't need to um, rebut the presumption that would be required in analyzing the anti-avoidance provision. And on the flip of it, if the dividend isn't disregarded under the double counting rules, then taxpayers would have to go through the, the rebuttable presumption, presumption and all that um, in, in the, in the anti-avoidance rule. Okay, and Elizabeth, can you bring us home with elections, so the 965H election? Right, so the 965H election um, is to defer the liability with respect to your toll charge um, and pay it over eight years. And to determine the amount that, of, of, that you get to defer payment of, you, there is a with and without calculation. And the with calculation is obviously what, what you would have calculated, you know, absent this deferral mechanism. And the without calculation is calculated without regard to 965 amounts, so your 965A and C 
um, and your deemed paid credits, and then also dividends are excluded um, along with allocable expenses. And there was an issue with respect to 956 loans as to whether or not they were in the without calculation. So you may have had 956 loans that would have been covered in the with calculation with 965 PTI, and so you didn't have a 956 inclusion, that in the without calculation, had you included that amount, um, wouldn't have been covered by 965 PTI potentially, and so you would have had a 956 inclusion. So it was causing some taxpayers' calculations to be skewed. And so basically in the preamble and in the regs, they have basically excluded those 956 loans, um, equating them with dividends that were also excluded in the without calculation in the statute. Those dividends, the thought was, would have been PTI in the with calculation, and so they skewed the calculation. And similarly, the 956 loans did that as well. So I think that was a welcome change for taxpayers with this issue. Um, second bullet point um, here, we, it, 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 there is a typo. It should be um, that if you have an overpayment, um, you will not receive a refund. So they declined to give any um, relief with respect to overpayments of installments. Um, if you do have deficiencies that uh, arise because of amended returns where you have a higher 965 amount, um, the tax that's due for prior installments is due in the year that you um, calculate the deficiency and then other amounts are prorated to the, to the future installments. Um, and really quickly, two other items. Um, if you have a triggering event, so let's say you have made a 965 election to defer payment um, over the eight years, and there are different acceleration events like um, the acquisition of your consolidated group by another consolidated group that will trigger payment of the tax. But you can defer that, again, with an exception if you file a transfer agreement. And so the final regulations um, specify, however, that that transfer agreement has to be filed by January 31st, so very, very soon, if you had an acceleration or triggering event that occurred um, on or before December 31st, 2018. So a date to definitely note um, in order to file that transfer agreement on time. And then just another exception with respect to acceleration events, if you had S-Corps that um, revoke their S-election um, that could have caused a, a consolidated group to terminate, um, that has been excluded from the acceleration events. Okay. Thanks, Elizabeth. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you would like more information about this topic, please email the speakers. Their email addresses can be found in the description of this episode. Thank you.